What's going on? I hope you're amazing. So welcome to the very first episode of Behind the Lens podcast. Now, today's guest is Alex Morris. He is the founder of a digital marketing agency called To The Moon Digital. I'm super pumped and excited. Alex is actually a client of ours. Um, and every time, you know, whether it's myself or one of our videographers films with Alex, we have an absolute ball. Um, he's got lots and lots of energy. Um, and in today's interview, we talk about uh, how his his family, specifically his father, has influenced um, who he is in business today. Talk about him as a family man, as a father. Um, so he's got a very young family. And I really enjoyed this interview because it was a good opportunity for me to reflect on for my own family and a whole bunch of other things. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy it if you can relate as well. Um, this episode is proudly brought to you by Triple Effect Media. So we create six months worth of video content for YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok and film it all in space of two days. So make sure you check us out at tripleeffect.com.au if you're interested. But after the episode, if you've really enjoyed this, make sure you give us a like, make sure you subscribe, and also make sure you leave a really good rating for us. Without further ado, let's get started. All right, so welcome to Behind the Lens, our very first episode. I have the amazing, incredible, and gorgeously handsome Alexander Morris with me today. Welcome to my very first Behind the Lens podcast. Very excited for you, Alan, and I'm excited for the world to have such a gift in this show <laughs> now available to them. Boom. No, so, well, look, I think um, to give a little bit of context backstory behind this podcast um i i've watched alex who runs a, a very successful podcast actually coaches to the moon podcast and um had me on recently but we've been having this conversation about launching i've i remember i interviewed you when was it in june or july this year yeah Maybe. it was so i was even earlier yeah i was just on my way to a family holiday Oh, that's right. That You've got an incredible and... memory as to when this happened. Well, it was you even remembered what the weather was doing that day. Well, it was like a, an, an enormous, enormous storm, right? And we were meant to be driving up to this farm in the middle of nowhere. And we had both of the our mums texting us going, you shouldn't go on the drive today. You know, you've got to turn, cancel the holiday, turn around and come back. And we were like, it's, it's fine. <laughs> Relax. So I remember, that's why I remember everything. Plus... The interview was truly unforgettable. So, uh, yeah, but we never used it. We never used it anyway. So, um, we've been like, I've had this project in the works and in planning phase for a little while and just never done anything about it up until now. Um, so officially launching and thank you for being our first guest, um, for the people at home listening or watching for that matter. Do you want to just give a little bit of context as to who Alexander Morris is? Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, in the in the context that we'll probably speak about today, I am a uh, I'm a digital marketer. So I run a company called To the Moon Digital, which I started just about two and a half years ago, and now we've got a team of eight, and we work with some of the best coaches in Australia, and we're really happy to you know be creating an impact that way. I live in the northern beaches of Sydney, uh, not too far south from Alan 
the host himself. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got a lovely little life down here with my wife, Ali, and my two twin daughters, Ollie and Ava. And I'm a, yeah, I'm a happy boy most of the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, just to give some context behind the podcast and, and what we're doing here today, um, the podcast, I've actually, I'll read this out because it's better if I read it until I get to know it a little bit better. So interviewing everyday business owners and entrepreneurs to find out more about their stories in business, the hurdles they have to overcome and understand their success habits. So starting at that point, um, tell us who, what, what makes you think like, cause I like, all right. So, and to give some more context, Alex and I have been working together for the last 12 months doing some videos together and, and whatnot. And I've been up to see even your progress from this point, um, which has been quite remarkable in the sense of like the biggest thing that I'll tell you, Alex, and I don't think I've said this to you is you've almost, I've noticed you actually listen more, almost like a little bit more calmer in um in some senses or more calm in some senses not calmer um but like you're just very calm and i think that comes with experience in business it comes with time in business doing the hours doing the reps if you will um but do you want to even just take me back to when alex was a young lad um, back in England, was it England? Did you grow up in England or Australia? First of all, yeah, Nottingham, England until I was 12. Yeah. So talk to me about school. Talk to me about what, what are some of the things that you believe, um, that just makes sense from back then to what you're doing now? Oh, well, my dad was a business owner, um, from when I was a little kid. So he started a travel agency company, uh, back when travel agents were like super necessary because we, the internet wasn't around and that was, you know, his kind of identity a lot when we were kids. He had this travel agency business called Trent Bridge Travel. He had four shops, lots of staff. And I think he was doing really well. Looking back, we had like a massive house and like always had like two Mercedeses and stuff like that. I think, I think he was doing way better than we thought at the time when we were little kids. It was just, it was just our dad. And so there was always that business owner spirit in the house. Um, coming from dad. And I think as a son, you're always kind of subconsciously trying to live up to your dad, yeah. I guess. All right. And so that was a massive factor in me moving towards my own businesses. And also, which we can get into a little bit later. I'm, I'm super smart academically, but I just really don't enjoy it. Right. So I, I, uh, I always did really well at school, but I was always in trouble. Um, never did my work, but always managed to kind of just pull out ahead of everyone else. And my dad's super smart. My sister's super smart. And I think there's just like, I'm, I'm blessed to be intelligent, but I just really, really dislike structured schoolwork. And I think that I had really no other choice than ending up doing what I'm doing now. That's awesome. And I will dive into that, but I actually remember a story you told me about your dad and, um, I think this was the time I think he, do you know which story I'm talking about? The time he sold, um, something for the soccer. Yeah. yeah, talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk, talk us, tell us through the story. Cause it's quite, yeah. Yeah. So this is a story I found out about a few years back. So yeah, my dad was a travel agent and he had this 
small business in England, and England is a soccer, football-obsessed country. And what had happened was England had like gone to some European Cup big qualifying match, like a quarterfinal or a semifinal against Germany in Germany. And so my dad, being entrepreneurial, decided to sell package deals, which were flights, accommodation, and tickets to the game. And he sold all of them, like hotcakes, really quickly. Like overnight, he sold like 400 of them. Made a bunch of money. And then he was like, okay, sweet. I'll, uh, now I've got to get the tickets for the, for the game. And right. so yep. he, went to, uh, he went to Germany <laughs> to mm. buy tickets. Because I guess, once again, no internet, right? Yeah. He went to Germany to get these tickets. And they were like, there's no tickets left. And he goes, okay, well, on the day, you're going to have an extra 500 England fans rocking up. And I'd really highly recommend you have tickets for them. Because uh, otherwise, there's going to be a riot on your hands. So he got the tickets. And then he was like, okay, I've sold out two planes worth or I've sold out a whole planes worth I need a plane <laughs> so he's like calling around just um I need a plane to send all these people to Germany they're like you can't just rent a plane that's not how it works and he'd done all this insane amount of marketing and and it paid off super well but he had nothing set up so like the day before the game he managed to sort out a plane sort out the tickets and fly everyone there and everyone wins. But he was on the brink of true disaster for the entirety of that business, uh, that little business venture. But he pulled it off. And I think that's a, uh, a great representation of just launching things before they're perfect and just, um, yeah, basically seeing what your market will buy and then selling that rather than creating something first and then hoping people would buy it so crucial and i and it's and and just to like touch on that last point that you made i think it's so backwards the way that people are like i need a web like i need to get this sorted i need to get that sorted there's no there's like there's no time than the present um when you're truly inspired to move and do something like you know if if like using that example of your dad if he had waited until he secured all the tickets or reserved the tickets or reserved a plane, it would have never happened. And mm. so the idea of going and, and getting the interest and letting the, what's the, um, yeah, the interest then, you know, make the decision for them. Yeah. How cool. And like, obviously you, you've, one of the first things you mentioned, you know, when it comes to business is your dad and, 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 and obviously that's just one story. I'm sure there's many more as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, one, once again, I remember we were always traveling since we were little kids, right? Always traveling. And my dad, his, um, because his business was in travel, he was kind of able to claim family holidays as research and, you know, of course, uh, tax write-off. Yeah, checking out hotels and yep. you know, checking out airlines and stuff. So I just remember one thing: we were always traveling as little kids, and I was always sick when I was a little kid. I was really unhealthy. But we, um, you know, by the time I was probably four or five years old, I've been in Canada, the Caribbean, America, Europe, all sorts of places, and it kind of, I guess, as I got a little bit older. It gave me a real 
potentially warped sense of what it meant to be a provider and a dad because we had this awesome life that was all based off my dad's travel business. And uh, it, you know, as, as much fun as it was, I, you know, <laughs> once I realized it, that was a huge factor in me struggling so much in the early years of business because I was never able to live up to that life. I thought that's it, that's success, you know, traveling four times a year, that sort of thing. And I, I was thinking of that really without context of the fact that that was part of my dad's job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, talk to me now. Like you're, you're obviously a father of two. You've got a beautiful wife and you know, you're the man of the house and obviously like this expectation of, or like even following in your father's, oh, there we go. Beautiful cup. So for those who are just listening, Alex is holding up his cup with his kids on it and whatnot. I've got a puppy dog cup with some green tea in it. Oh, um, what's it say? What's it say? You're awesome. <laughs> My daughter got me that. But um, coming back to the coming back to the story, like talk to me. How like how have you, if you will, stepped outside of your dad's your father's shadow, and and like the he's obviously raised the bar of not yeah. only marketing genius and and you know action taking in in business, but how does one step out of a father's shadow and create their own path? Well, I think to answer that question, I've got to take you back to how I figured out that it was such a massive factor in my life. And to give context to that, I've got to take you back to school, basically. Yeah. So I mentioned that I was super good at school just in terms of results, but not in terms of behavior. And from basically, I got, in, in my primary school, there was like, if you were doing really well, you did something good, you got a little red star. If you got three red stars, you got a red square and you got a little chart on the wall. Red squares were awesome. You got like three red squares, you got a badge. If you did something bad, you got a black square and that like negated some of the things, right? I yeah. got my first black square when I was like six years old because I just refused to stop um, playing, like fiddling with all these musical instruments while like the headmistress was talking. And I got like six warnings and then just kept playing with these bongo drums first black square devastated <laughs> throughout school. There was a recurring theme from probably that age until I left school at 17 in year 12 of Alex is so intelligent, but not living up to his potential. Alex should be doing so much more. Alex could be doing better than this. You know, he, he's, he doesn't pay attention. He, uh, loses interest and you know, he, yeah, he should be doing better. And when you hear that in your school reports every year for, you know, 11 years, it probably does something to you subconsciously. Uh, when every conversation your teachers have with your parents is like, Alex is, uh, you know, he really should be, should be here. He, he could be doing this. He's got so much potential. But the fact was, I just wasn't interested in school at all. Right. So when I left school at 17, finished my HSC and with basically zero effort. I got one of the best marks in the grade, right? Um, to the absolute bemusement of my sister who worked super duper hard and did, and did better than me, but I just fucked around. Excuse my language. I guess that's the kind of podcast we're doing uh, for the entire year. Real and raw, real and yeah. raw, baby. And then, and then I left school with all these potential to apply to universities and get into any course I wanted. And I just, um, 
didn't apply to anything. I just had no interest in it. Come like February of the next year when all my friends were going to school, I was like, oh shit, I better like apply for a university. So I kind of just threw my, um, I found a, a friend of a friend who had some connections at Sydney Uni. I was like, I did really well in my HSC. Can I come in? Uh, and he's like, yeah, come on, come along. So I was like, I'll do a Bachelor of Arts. <laughs> I'll just be going to uni. So that, you know, for anyone who's not been to university, I believe that's a pretty nonsense degree because it doesn't really mean anything. It's pretty non-committal. It let me study English, music, art, and I think philosophy or something, you know, yeah. Yeah. relatively um, intangible like that. Yeah. And so I was just doing that to get my parents off my back and to kind of say I was doing something. And every time I went to uni, I'd probably do a class and then go to the bar or go and smoke cigarettes under a tree and listen to music and ride my skateboard. And I was just completely wasting my time. So after about six weeks, I left. <laughs> I was like, that was not for me. I had a friend who at the time had been going to school with me and he was one of my best mates through school. And we used to always go shoplifting together and uh, he stayed at my house. He had some family troubles and basically we, um, he, he was a chef. He was doing an apprenticeship uh, as a chef in this really, really good restaurant here in Sydney. And I was like, this is bullshit. I'm going to uni just because people told me to. He's getting paid to learn something that I love doing. I love cooking. He's working cool hours. He's, he's meeting cool people. Doesn't have to get on the train, you know, 8 a.m. Monday morning. Yeah. I'm going to do that. So I started searching around for an apprenticeship. And the only apprenticeship I could get close to me without going to the city was in the kitchens of the San Hospital in Warunga, which is like yeah. a massive private hospital. And I was like, yeah, fair enough. So I would get up at 5 a.m. and go to this place and make like salads and do like bake a thousand muffins at a time. And what people were telling me there was you shouldn't be working here. You, you, you should be doing so much more than this, right? And I was like, there it is again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there Same it is thing. again. Same, Same thing. thing. You should be better than this, but no real like direction of what I should be doing. Just you shouldn't yeah. be here. Eventually, I, I found a restaurant near me. I wanted to go and work at this restaurant. So I went there and this is where I first truly got my ass kicked by like, a head chef who like whipped me into line and I loved it because I was working hard, but this head chef, he was like ex-military, full on Gordon Ramsay style. Yeah. And for some reason, when he like yelled at me, I didn't get angry. I didn't re like rebel against it. I kind of, you know, enjoyed the discipline, but the way it was being delivered wasn't like teacher, human resources style, politically correct. It was like throwing a handful of rocket at you. And, uh, I loved it. I, I really thrived in this environment and I think it let my energy come out and my kind of multitasking, the fact that my mind was always in different places. Yeah. Loved it. And I ended up being a chef for like, you know, I did my apprenticeship as a chef for like three years, never did very well at TAFE, like the actual like learning side of it, <laughs> but I did really well uh, in the, the hands-on job part of it. After that, I mean, I, I traveled, uh, traveled through Europe with my mates, got drunk, did all the usual stuff, came back, started bartending to figure out because I wanted to do front of house as well. And I think my kind of entrepreneurial spirit without me knowing was saying, okay, you've learned this, let's go and learn this now. Yep. Okay, you've learned this, let's go and learn this. And I think that's half entrepreneurial spirit and half also that self-sabotage coming back again. I could have just stayed on the chef path and been a head chef in a fancy restaurant. But I was like, ah, oh, no, I'm getting bored now. I'll go and do something else. 
you know? And so luckily I kept it all in the same kind of realm of hospitality. And while I was doing that, I started catering um, just on the side. This has like a little cash job yep. with one of my mates. Then we started a catering business. So this was my first proper business. I was like 22 and we'd do cash jobs on the weekends. Eventually we got too busy and we started a cafe, cafe and catering. And uh, that was when I was 23 years old. So eight years ago now. This cafe starts doing quite well. You know, we started, uh, I remember... I was always able to take my wife. You know, is my this the same girlfriend. guy that we went and we went and had a coffee with? And is it the same guy? No, no. So I worked for him uh, okay. during this, this whole Sorry. period. Right? Continue. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good dude. Um, yeah, yeah. He comes in later in the story, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, but that guy, we started this cafe together and it started doing okay, making a living off of it. And then guess what, Alan? Alex gets bored again, sabotages the whole thing. Sold my half of the cafe. Could have just the the other guy stayed around patiently. Now he owns two restaurants and he's killing it. Yeah, you know, drives a Mercedes, yeah. big apartment, two restaurants. Yeah, I got bored and I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah, this isn't moving fast enough for me. So I sold him my half and then I went to work in fancy restaurants, front of house, and then I went um, and and then on the same theme again. Sorry to ramble, but it's very interesting how often yeah, this yeah. comes no. up. I was working my way up in this restaurant, really good restaurant, you know, franchise. Well, not franchise, but like restaurant group in Sydney. And they offered me a manager role of a very famous restaurant in Sydney. And I was like, no, thanks. Yeah. And I left because I was like, if I'm not taking on this dream job, why am I here? Yeah. Surely I don't really want this life. And that would have been big salary, a lot of work, but good salary, like, perks yeah. friends with all the wine people you know yeah. getting like tastings and stuff and i was like well, why would i leave this job which i thought was my dream clearly this isn't what i want to do so i just kind of like <laughs> gave up all this fa you know potentially fancy lifestyle and moved to the yeah. beaches with ali started working in a breakfast cafe which is that guy who we met the other day yeah while i was working there i had a big health shift got myself really healthy yeah um, which, you know, is super important, yep. you know, we've both been through that journey and still going through it. Yeah. We all are right. It's yep. never ending. And, yep. um, and around that time was when I first got the call from a guy on Facebook saying, oh, we noticed you downloaded our lead, uh, our book on how to start your own coaching business. Yeah. And then I was in the sales process and the rest is history. But yeah. I, when I'd started that coaching business and a couple years in, I did an NLP course. Yeah. You ever done the NLP stuff? Yeah, I have. So I was doing NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, and mm -hmm. they do this thing called Timeline Therapy, mm -hmm. which is where, uh, for people listening, what they do is they kind of help you to visualize your own life as a timeline, kind of like close your yeah. eyes and kind of like hypnotically fly you above your own life, look down at it, and then like take you back to when you realize like, the root causes of problems that your, yeah. your conscious mind, your logical mind can't really realize, mm -hmm. can't really recognize. And so this girl who was interviewing me, like doing this technique to me, she kind of, she said something. And it took me back to like, when I was a little kid getting yelled at by my mum for some school report or something. And I remember, she's like, what would that young man want to say now? And I, I said something like that. I'm, I'm trying my best. And she's like, and what do you, 
um, and what else do you want them to know? And I said, I'm always doing my best. And then I just fucking burst into tears. Yeah. Right. And like, I like uncontrollably, this made me like this, that sentence made me sob. And it, when I kind of awoke from that hypnotic sort of state, I realized that like, holy shit, why is that such a big memory for me? Why is that such a childhood memory? Me just getting, you know, in a fight with my mum about a school report when I'm like seven years old. And why does the fact that I'm always trying my best trigger me so much to the point where I'm, I'm like sobbing 15 years later? And I realized it was like, because wh whether or not people believe it, I'm always trying my best at, at whatever I can do, but only to the capacity I'm interested in something. So when I'm really loving something, I'll put everything into it. But when I'm doing maths, my best is like just trying to pay attention for, you know, for six minutes because that's really hard for me, right? And so out of that fog, I realized, holy shit, this is probably what's been you know, stopping me from doing well in anything I've done because I get to a certain point and then my mind says, you got so much potential, but you never reach it. So you better quit now. And then I'll quit again. And once I realized that that week, then I started thinking, I don't have to be my dad. I can be me. Yeah, and wow. so I know you asked me that question about 20 minutes ago. But that's <laughs> how it happened. Wow. No, and let's let's just recap it because like we did get there in the end, which is great. Obviously, we landed the plane, but um, it's a really really important lesson. And and yeah, wow. Okay, so it's literally I, what I'm hearing is it was almost like a glass ceiling that you had um, because of um, the interpretation that you made at that age. Um, when we're little and, and you're talking about seven years old or whatever, whatever age it was, you're a little sponge at that stage. Um, literally, you know, exploring life and learning and, and potentially, yeah, obviously just started going to school and, and establishing yourself. Um, and funny enough, like I've actually got a seven year old daughter, um, and, and like just reflecting on that. And let me ask you this, Alex, like, Given those experiences, and obviously now you're a dad and you've got kids of your own, how does that now translate to your kids and, and how you go about things, not only from a personal perspective, but also now, you know, looking and seeing at, at like how you experienced your relationship with your father and mother to, to now what you have with your kids? Yeah. Um, I think that my nature goes to being quite a no-nonsense dad like my dad's a pretty no-nonsense guy and if i've screwed up he won't try and make me feel better about it most of the time he'll probably kind of he'll let you fail on purpose and let you really learn your own lesson 100 percent. and sometimes in my life when i've been like i've had big like business screw-ups that i've been really cut up about i've talked to dad and he'll like hone in on what i've done wrong and tell me how I could have done it better instead of making me feel better, which is exactly what you need. But at Absolutely. the time, you kind of want to cuddle, but he kind of what gives you the What a great dad. Yeah, well, 100% he's a great dad. Um, but it, it definitely uh, has given me a bit of a no-nonsense framework into how I raise my own kids. And before I held my first daughter, I'd never held a baby before. I've never been around toddlers and babies, yeah. right? 
So I don't really realize that a two-year-old is very, very different from a 14-year-old in mm -hmm. how you talk to them. Yeah. So about six months ago, probably my vibe was if the, one of the girls was having a tantrum, I'd be like, all right, sit there by yourself. I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, but my, my, my wife was always saying like, you can't do that. You know, this, they don't need to know this behavior is wrong. They need to know this behavior is normal. To, yeah. to feel angry. They, they just can't regulate their emotions yet. So you've got to be yeah. on their side rather than like, you know, trying to be a hardcore dad. Save yeah. that for when they're 15 and they're lazy. Right now, they're just trying to figure out what everything means. So as we do, we never listen to our wives. Um, so it kept being me. <laughs> and Speak for yourself, mate. Every time I got angry. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I kept being yeah. guilty. Uh, feeling guilty every time I got angry at the girl yeah. sort of thing. Yep. And then it was actually a podcast I was listening to with like a psychologist and the way he explained it hit home for me. And from then I've been really, I've like tried to use my own sort of self-discipline that I apply to like fitness and business just to control my emotions when they're losing their shit. Yeah. And so realizing how much there is of my dad in me, that gave me a massive realization of like good or bad. I've got to, you know, really be careful of how I present to these girls. Yeah. You know? Because, uh, two, two years old, less than seven, as you said, they're sponges. That's not the time to show them anger or fear or, you know, negative traits. That's the time to be supportive and let them know that if they're feeling shitty, that's okay. If you don't want to cuddle me, no worries, but I'm here if you need one. And that's, it's such an important conversation, Alex, like you're, you're talking about like not showing anger and things like that. And I know from, from me and my personal experience, I, I grew up in a very, very loving home, but my dad was not afraid of disciplining us. And yeah. And so naturally as I've become a father, my natural, you know, I ingrained in me is naughty discipline, like you know, smack and those sorts of things. And it's really been Jess who's helped and supported me with what, you know, what I'm doing. But I, I like, I, I resonate with what you're saying so much. I've had to like the amount of times I've had to step away from, you know, meltdowns and, and them just like, they've been at daycare all day or they've been at school and they're just getting like, they're just offloading in screaming and, and whatever. But like, they've just had, they've just tipped up and and yeah and and now they've they've got to get their stuff out um but i resonate so much with what you're saying with anger and and things like that um what i'd love to understand is obviously we're talking about being a dad reflecting on your own experiences as a child and 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 how you take that into you know what you're doing now um what would you say is the difference between you know i know that obviously you know whilst you were um, in the hospitality industry, it's completely different to the business that you're in. But what are some of the experiences now that you take as a result of being a dad um, in, you know, in your work slash career versus now um, being a father um, and work slash career? Like what, what are some of the big differences and like, is there any additional meaning or like what has it done for your life having kids now being in business? I think having kids definitely changes the way I do business because one thing I got from the hospitality days was an insanely good work ethic. 
My dad's a hard worker. My sister's a hard worker. My mum used to be a nurse. She's a hard worker. We've got a great work ethic in the family. And I used to work, you know, 16, 17 hour days in the kitchen while my friends were all doing like their eight hour shifts at, you know, JB Hi-Fi and complaining about it. I was like getting in there at 7 a.m., leaving at 1 a.m., loving it. And I probably could easily still be working like that today. I could easily be one of these Gary V hustlers, you know, eyes bleeding from DMing people, that sort of thing. <laughs> but I'm really surprised now how much I've slowed down my life and my work ethic and how, you know, how much I'm looking forward to quitting time at 4 p.m., that sort of thing. Absolutely. Um, because like, I think now with the girls, I'm seeing life as much more of a long-term journey. Absolutely. Whereas I don't have to be succeeding in business today. I just want to be, you know, experiencing the most I can of every year as it comes. And yeah. so before this podcast, I played with my daughters a bit and had a small nap because <laughs> yeah. I've been on three podcasts yeah. today. And I'm going to continue on True, this pal. afternoon. It just happened. It just happened like yeah. that. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I think I'm just working a lot less hours than I usually would have. And that's probably been a blessing because it's made me have to think about how do I delegate stuff to make my business work without me? And without really noticing, it's getting there very quickly, which is great. And it's not just so I can sit on a beach and hang out with my girls, but that's a great you know, um, outcome from decisions I'm making in my business, you know, because then I can decide, do I work more and grow the business or do I just take this extra time and hang out with the family? Do I go and exercise and work on myself? Yesterday I went down for an ocean swim at 4 PM because I felt tired and that's not what I would have done. I was very short term hustler back in the day, which I'm very grateful for that work ethic and if i needed to stay up till till you know midnight tonight once my girls have gone to bed copywriting i'll do it but during monday to friday during the day i am uh i'm a lot slower and more patient and i think you touched on that at the beginning of the show yeah absolutely and like just bringing it full circle now right a lot of the things that you're doing in business talking about automation and marketing. Um, these, these are now things that not only you've implemented for yourself, you're now doing on behalf of coaches and implementing on behalf of business owners. Mm. And tell me if I'm wrong here, but like it, it almost feels like um, when you're speaking to a prospect or someone who's potentially interested in working with you, it's, it's, that's like, it's, it's really just finding that meat. Like that's what you've just shared over the last half hour is, is effectively your version of your story. Um, mm. and whether it is the choice to go and take a nap or go down to the beach or work on some more stuff, do some more copywriting, focus on this, focus on that. Um, and creating that for the equivalent of the businesses that you're working with. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I seem to be attracting more people like me these days. Without That's trying. not a surprise. Yeah, I, I mean... Funny I, that. We attract the same people that we are. Absolutely, right? Who would have thought? So 
even though we're going through advertising, that sort of thing, most of the people I'm working with now are parents, you know, young, youngish parents who don't want to be on the phones all night. You know, they're, they're not lazy. They just have two, you know, different loves in their life, their business and their family. Absolutely. And so in, in me coming in, in my company coming in and helping them out with their marketing, that's just a whole arm of their business taken care of. And, you know, it's like what we do with you. I, I could easily, I know how to edit video and film. I could sit down and do that, yep. <laughs> you know, for 20 hours a month. But with you guys coming in and doing it for me, um, it's incredible. You do it better than I could. And I can take that, you know, small hit on my profits and then use that time to do whatever I like. My clients, I feel, are mostly the same now. When I was starting out, you know, I definitely had a couple of those hustler clients. And I've still got them. And we can adapt. But um, I don't respond to messages at 10 p.m. anymore and no. wake up at 6 a.m. thinking, oh, I've got to get back to someone now. I kind of get back to them in my boundaries of like 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., yeah. that sort of thing. And it's definitely changing the relationship with clients as well in a good way. Yeah. I love that. Awesome. So, look, now that you've shared a little bit about like your background, sorry, can you hear my dog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm just going to let him in. Just one sec. Let the dog in. He's the biggest sook. Since, when, when so we, just, when we stream live, when yeah. we stream live these, these shows, I've got my front window right there and like I always get some Amazon delivery guy like, <laughs> Amazon delivery, I'm like, just leave it there. And yeah. they're like, no, and he's literally, leave the guests. Yeah, he's literally just, he just wants to sit, he just wants to be with the people. But right. um, Jess left to go and pick up the kids from school. Cool. Um, so yeah, he's like, don't leave me alone. Anyway, coming back to... Um, you know, business, those sorts of things. Um, I'd love to hear like, what are some of the, and I'm really fascinated about this because there's a really good book that I always talk about by Alex Amosi called $100 million offers. And the principle is, is around creating offers that um, are too good for people to say no to. And one of the key principles is obviously niching down to a specific audience. And what I love about what you do, and I can clearly articulate that there is success behind it because of these steps that you've taken is niching down to, you know, coaches. And whilst um, you wouldn't necessarily reject or like, I, I'm, I'm not sure about this, but like, I'm assuming that you still have people outside of that scope still come to you and still talk to you and all those other things. But I've noticed that like, especially people who I've followed and people who I know potentially in a very similar circumstance, just haven't got the cut through and reach that you have as a result of those things. So this is where I'm really keen to understand bringing it like, what are some of the the success habits or what are some of the things that you see as a result of like not only your experiences in in growing up in life and whatever the case is that have really shaped your business um for anyone who's listening um yeah well i think one of the things that's just been consistently effective for me in my whole life 
has been that I, I really care about people, which is great. It's a blessing and a curse as a business owner, um, really, really caring about how people go. But that meant that when I was at school, you know, I was still mates with my teachers when I wasn't working properly. Like um, when I was a chef, I was just everyone's best mate, that sort of thing, because I was just a decent guy who cared about, you know, everyone being happy. And I would, I'm very empathetic. I notice when people are unhappy and I'll hone in on how can I help them fix this. And then coming into business now, I've got clients, you know, um, who said, oh, we just, you know, we just trust you more, that sort of thing, uh, than the other people we've worked with. Um, and so I can be super authentic in sales calls and, and, you know, sit back and not try and make a sale at all. And if people come through, amazing. If they don't, they don't. And that, that sort of authenticity for me is something that I always... I can't, I can't escape it really. The only time I haven't been authentic was when I was back in the day, first learning sales yeah. and doing the tactics, you know, yeah, following movement. someone else's strategy, not yeah. your own. hundred percent. So I think just like authentic, uh, honesty, authentic, authenticity, and just so empathy are, are huge. Um, obviously that's not really a tangible answer for the people listening, but in terms of tangible stuff, Niching down one step was amazing for me going from small businesses to coaches because what that did was that allowed me to focus on solving a very specific set of problems um, and then creating processes that can just solve them over and over again. And yeah. so now I think we've like we've nailed it. I just wrote up like a, a 59-point onboarding and delivery plan to deliver to a client for the first 90 days. And I'm barely in any of it. And that would be really, really difficult if we had clients with all different kinds of needs. But coaches, having one niche, they've all generally got the same kind of problems and the same process they need to follow to fix it. By niching down, just one step, I haven't gone down to just spiritual coaches. That might be a bit too small, you know, but just coaches, uh, lead generation, that's been huge. And then thirdly, you know, we keep things very simple and just launch them quickly, whether that's, um, a whole new program or whether that's an ad campaign or whether that's a Facebook group or a podcast. We just kind of roll things out really fast and figure it out as we go, fix problems because we realize that if we put out a few things that aren't perfect, no one's going to remember or give a shit. You know, <laughs> we might as well just keep on going until exactly. it, it works yeah. properly. And if it didn't, doesn't work, then yeah. life goes on. Yeah. I love that. No. And, and, I resonate with all of the points you've just raised, especially, probably especially the last one. It's, it's so funny listening to people who feel that they need to have everything in order, um, before getting started. And, and usually, um, you know, there, and look, granted there are some circumstances and instances where it's, it's not feasible to get started for whatever reason, due to logistics, legal reasons, things like that. But um, majority of the time, it's literally just knowing what you want to do and just backing yourself with the decision that you've already made in your mind. It's waiting for something else, someone else or some time to grant you and actually give you permission. Um, yeah. And so I, I love simplicity. I love 
obviously action taking and, and then using the momentum off the back of those two to then direct, you know, if it, even if it doesn't work, we're going to use that momentum to guide us as to where that, that next step is as well. Yeah, well, that's it. Because like, if something doesn't work and you've spent months and months planning and making it perfect and then you launch it and it doesn't work, you may as well have just launched it before you did all those months of planning because mm. everything's a test until you do it. Yeah. And so I get clients come to me and it's generally people who have come from like corporate backgrounds and they start Absolutely, a business. Absolutely, yeah. And they've got like this brand guide, which is like 20 pages long, perfect avatars, everything. And I'm like, dude, you don't need any of this stuff. This nah. is just confusing. Nah. Uh, we, we could have an ad, um, we could have an ad out on Friday and it would teach you everything you need to know. So nothing against people doing that. But it's just, I don't believe that's been my style. And maybe there's marketers out there who, who use that and get amazing results. I'm sure there no, are. No, but look, I, I'll, I'll back you, like, even just with, like, we've received branding guidelines um, from people. And then literally, as we're pre providing their videos back, the, the branding guidelines have shifted and changed according to, you know, what they see fit. And, yeah. and it's like, oh, well, these, like, we were following, no, you know, and, and it's, circumstantial um you know you can't cover everything so yeah yeah let's use a forest green here instead of the (laughs) sea foam (laughs) yeah if your ideal client won't give won't give a shit what color green you've used no you know but but it's the psychology you know there's psychology behind different colors it's like the psychology behind making a good (laughs) making good content and delivering good absolutely not fonts you know Sorry to the graphic designers out there. I have a graphics team and I love them to bits. Oh, well, I, I originally was a graphic designer. Um, yeah. And, and I think all of, like, you know, this one, this podcast is not about me, but it, it's, it's formed, you know, helped to form, you know, the decisions that we've made in our business and, and mm. everything else as well. All right. Well, look, I want to, I don't want to take too much of your time. I really appreciate like you, like you've obviously been really vulnerable sharing and, and whatnot, Alex, like, um, if someone's interested in finding out more about you or connecting or whatever the case is, where's the best place to come and find you? Any anywhere you search to the moon digital, we're going to be there. So um, we got the the website. You can contact us through there. Uh, that's a lovely page. We've just put a, a, a page on there with all our team members, which is fun, which Ooh. made me feel like a real you know <laughs> company for the first time. Um, we've got. Uh, yeah, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I hope you've got some really good videos on those social platforms as well. Yeah, well, we we <laughs> share, you know, two incredibly high quality reels per week that are made by Alan and his crew. Plus, we share podcast clips, infographics, templates, standard operating procedures you can plug into your coaching business. Like, we give away a lot of stuff for free. Yeah. And so to the moon digital, anyway, you search that you're going to find us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much legend for jumping on today, being vulnerable, being real and raw, and obviously being my first and popping my behind the lens cherry. Boom. <laughs> oh God. That's Might need to cut that part day. out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know if that came across properly. Anyway, I'll probably leave it in. Thank you again for, um, thank you for taking this, <laughs> walking through this experience <laughs> together um have an amazing day and um speak soon thanks buddy thanks for having me
So thank you for hanging around right to the end. We hope you've really enjoyed today's episode. And if you have, we'd love some feedback. So feel free to give us a rating on your favorite podcast platforms. Obviously, feel free to hit that subscribe button at the same time as well. If you'd like to you know, reach out to us personally or reach out to me directly, you can find me on Instagram at Alan Howe, which is A-L-A-N-H-O-W-L-E. If you're interested in finding out more about how we work with clients to create a video presence, you can head to tripleeffect.com.au where we create six months worth of video content for YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok and film it all in two days. So we do everything from scripting, editing, uh, scripting, filming, editing, as well as publishing all the videos to all of the channels on a weekly basis for our clients. So thank you again for listening. Look forward to sharing another episode very soon.